Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Amazing. It's so good to be in the house of God on this cold snap in sunny Brisbane. Sam said this morning, well, we'll know who the real Christians are in the 8.30 service. (laughs) Even Sam slept in. I know. And I think that's why he said it, because he was like, well, I'm a real Christian because I got up. But it's awesome to be in the house of God, and I'm excited about the word that I have to bring for you tonight. Are you excited to hear the word of God? Amen, amen. Before we get into it, um, I just felt in my spirit a word for someone here. I don't know who you are, but you're running with the wrong crowd, and God wants you to know that he sees you and he has a call on your life. And tonight, if you'll just admit that to yourself and make a change, he'll meet you where you're at. So whoever you are, God knows you and sees you. He's not mad at you. He has a call on your life. If you'll just admit to him and to yourself that it's time to make a change, he'll meet you where you're at. Amen? Amen. All right, well... The title of my message tonight is Me Plus God Are the Majority. Can you say that? Amen. My mission tonight is to help you realize that you stand out and that you're different to the world. Sometimes that means that you feel like you're alone, but that's a lie from the pit of hell because me plus God are the majority. Our anchor scripture tonight is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. I have many. I have many, many, many favorite scriptures. But the story of Moses captivates me. He is arguably one of the best leaders in all of scripture. And what he achieved with God and under the call of God and in obedience to the call of God is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. A man in his old age, with a stutter, facing up to a national king of the powerhouse of the world, freeing and delivering a whole nation of people from captivity. It's absolutely remarkable. And so here he is in Exodus 33, it'll be on the screen. He says this once he's actually said yes to God and he's started on this journey of leading. He says, To God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? Now, I want you to read the next part with me. For your presence among us sets us, your people, and me apart from all the other people on the earth. Your presence among us sets us apart from all the other people on the earth. God's presence with you sets you apart from everybody else. And Moses is saying, God, if you don't go with me, don't make me go. Because how is anyone going to know 
who I am and what you've called me to do unless you evidence yourself by coming with me. And so my mission tonight is to convince you, to help you realize that you're a standout. To help you realize that in the world, His presence sets you apart from your friends at school, from your colleagues at work, from the university colleagues that you sit with, maybe from your family. It is God's presence that sets you apart and you are called to stand out. You plus God are the majority. With God's presence, you not only stand out, but you achieve miraculous things. You do more than you can do on your own. The world around you should look at you and go, how on earth is that possible? And the evidence is that God's with you. That's why. Your life should be a billboard for the goodness and the favor and the promise of God. God, if you don't go with me, I am not going anywhere. Because I want to be living, breathing proof that you exist and that you enable ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. You are called to stand out. And even if you're alone with God, you're the majority. And so I actually want to teach you a bit of doctrine. Is that all right? I want to teach you about the essential attributes of God and the moral attributes of God. The essential attributes and the moral attributes. The essential attributes of God are the things about God that make Him God. They are exclusive to God. No one else can possess the essential attributes of God, otherwise they would be God. The moral attributes of God are the things in his character that he wishes that we would adopt and grow into. So he actually asks and desires and wills for us to take on his moral attributes. We'll never be able to take on his essential attributes, but he does desire that we would possess his moral attributes. So we want to go into them. And so the essential attributes of God, there are a bunch of them, but I want to look at the three omnis. Can you say the three omnis? Just quickly, I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. The first one is that God is, one of his essential attributes is that he's omnipotent. Can you say omnipotent? He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. What does that mean? Nothing's impossible for him. Nothing's impossible for him because he's omnipotent. He created the earth and the laws of nature, right? but he can at any time supersede those laws. The Bible tells us in Matthew that with man, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With man, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He is omnipotent. It's what makes him God and us not, is the fact that he can supersede the laws of nature and go, well, I'm God, I said. And I choose right now to do whatever I want. And this is where the miraculous happens, is because God is 
omnipotent. He said to Sarah, who was barren, who was in her 80s, and she laughed when God said that she would have a son. He said, why are you laughing? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I just feel so strongly right now that that is the word of God to some of us here in this room. Why are you laughing? Why are you doubting? Are you doubting that I can do that in your life? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing. He's omnipotent. It's what makes him God. The second omni is that he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. God is really, really, really smart. He's all-knowing. What God doesn't know doesn't exist. He knows everything. He knows everything about himself. You know, we're like, God, I, I want to discover more of you. He knows everything about himself. He knows everything about the universe. As we're just scratching the surface of science, he knows everything about it. And he knows everything about what he created us. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's good news. Do you know, I've heard many people in this day and age say, just be true to yourself. What a load. The last thing you should do is be true to yourself. Your identity is not found in self-development. Your identity is found in the God who knows you and created you and knows you better than yourself. You need to be true to Jesus, not yourself. Yourself will deceive you and lie to you and lead you down all sorts of tracks. But the God who is omniscient, who knows everything about you, is the God you should go to to find out who you are. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows your thoughts even before you think them. One of my favorite Psalms of all time, and I discovered it when I was a brand new Christian at 13 years of age, and I wrote it on my wall, is Psalm 139. And it's filled with truths about identity and the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And one line says, you know my thoughts from afar off. He knows our thoughts. The third omni is he's omnipresent. Now, this one is a stretch for our understanding. God is present at all places at all times. He's outside of time. Nina, right now, God is not only with you right now, he is right now at your birth. He's also right now at the day you get married. He's also right now at the creation of the world Jesus' crucifixion, the moment of your salvation, all at once. He's outside of time. That's a stretch for our understanding because we think in linear time. God is not limited to time and space. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time, all at once. And this is huge. This is huge because it affects our prayer life. The fact that God is outside of time affects our prayer life. 
it helps us understand those scriptures that are past tense, but I haven't lived it yet. It is past tense to God. He's already been there. By his stripes you were healed. It's already done. Do you know why? Because he's already been in your future when you're already whole. And so when you pray, you call that which is not as though it already is because it already is. And it changes our prayer life completely. I've often asked this question, why should I pray? You ever thought that? Like if God already knows everything, and if God can do whatever he wants, what's the point in me praying? Because he says to. In the word, it says to pray. It says to pray because he's made a covenant with mankind for the dominion in this realm. And he wants to work in partnership with you and I. And so he says, pray. He's partnered with us so that we would agree and we would call his will into our existence. It's like the um, Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read them all, the magician's nephew, Polly says to the talking horse, What? Did you know that Narnia is written about Jesus? Did you know that? Did you know that C.S. Lewis was a reluctant convert and he got converted just before the war and he saw that children's faith in Jesus was waning as the war went on and he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia about Aslan, Jesus, to restore their faith in God. Did you know that? If you want to read anything to your children, forget Harry Potter. Come on now. Throw the Pokemon cards out. It's demonic, that stuff. Read Narnia to them. Anyway, Polly says in The Magician's Nephew to the talking horse, wouldn't Aslan already know without being asked? I have no doubt, said the horse, but I have sort of an idea that he likes to be asked. It's a stretch of our faith. It's an activation of our faith that we pray and that we ask. Because he's omnipresent, we reach into his reality and bring it into this reality. We reach into his reality and draw his will into this reality. And the fact that he's omnipresent, my friends, means you can't outrun him. You can't. That's either really good news or really bad news. But you can't outrun him. Again, Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your presence? Even if I make my, my, my bed in the darkness, there you are. You can't outrun God. And you know what? That's good news because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. <laughs> nothing. There is no pit of hell that you've made your bed in where he can't find you. He is everywhere at all times, always. They are the essential attributes of God, which you and I will never have. But it's good news for us. The moral attributes are the qualities that God uses to relate with us. And they're also the qualities that he wants us to possess. The scripture tells us that we move into the likeness of Christ more and more. 
The scripture tells us that the path of the righteous goes brighter and brighter and brighter until the noonday sun. And so as we take on these um, characteristics of God, these moral characteristics, we move into his will for our lives. Many people ask me, what is the will of God for my life? And I answer them, just become more like Jesus. That's God's will for your life. I'm convinced he cares very little about what your occupation is. He'll use you anywhere. But God's will for your life is that you become more like him. And so four of the moral attributes of God, the first one is holiness. God is absolutely holy. What does that mean? Holiness is purity. He is pure. There's no dross or muck in him. How do you purify gold? You heat it up and all the filth rises to the surface and gets scraped away and you have pure gold. God is pure. He is holy. Think about this. Everything God thinks, says, and does is holy. And he wants us to be that way. Everything he thinks, says, and does is pure. And he wants you and I to be like that. Have you ever been in a conversation and you've walked away feeling dirty? That's what he wants to deal with in our lives. All those things that bring filth around our lives. He is holy. God cannot sin and he can't tolerate sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. Leviticus 19.2 says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Maybe you're here tonight and you've given away your purity. I want you to know that God wants to restore it to you. Maybe you're here tonight and you have a problem with looking at the wrong things on your device and on your screens. I want you to know God wants you to live a life of integrity. He wants to bring you out of that filth, restore you and make you dignified, make you holy. Maybe you're here tonight and you harm yourself. Do you know sin is anything less than God's standard? And God wants you to know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. When you harm yourself, you are forsaking the own, your own purity in him because he wants you to know you're amazing. He wants you to know that you're mighty. He wants you to know that he sees you and he loves you and because of his son, you're perfect. That hatred that you have for yourself, he wants to free you from that. But maybe you're here and you gave that up years ago. You're not sleeping around or drinking or partying anymore, but you gossip all the time. Maybe you're jealous of the people in church with you. What about, what about that health condition in your life or in your family member's life that you've stopped believing breakthrough for? That's sin. Do you have an ailment? Does someone you love have an ailment and you stopped believing? Because sin is anything less than God's standard and healing is God's standard. 
And God wants us to be holy, which means he wants us to live at his standard and his plan for our lives. Are you being disobedient? The Bible tells us that rebellion is as witchcraft. Sorry to get up in your grill, guys. Come on. But God, if you don't go with me, how is anyone going to know? God, it's your presence that sets me apart. And so you being disobedient in an area of your life, you know God's been speaking to you about and you just haven't gotten with the program? It's, it's you forsaking the holiness that God has for your life, the purity that God has for your life. God wants you to possess his moral attributes and holiness is one of them, which means dealing with those areas of impurity in our lives. And we don't deal with them. He deals with them in us. Second one is righteousness. Righteousness is holiness in action. Righteousness is like justice. It's God. It's God saying, that's wrong, I'm going to make it right. That's right, and I'm going to reward it. That's what righteousness is, is holiness in action. And God is righteous. And because he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, it means he's allowed to be the judge. You and I do not know everything, so we cannot be judge and jury. God does know everything, therefore he can be judge and jury. And one day you and I are going to stand and, and hold account before him, and he's going to pass a judgment. And we always talk about the gospel being good news. I want to tell you, it's only good news if you know the bad news. And the bad news is, one day we're going to have to give account for every rotten thing we've done. And God, who's pure and holy, is able and in his right to pass judgment on every rotten thing we've ever done. That's really bad news. The good news is, because it's so horrible and because the price of sin is death, eternal death, I mean, that's bad news. Sorry, guys. Because of all that and because he loves us so much, which is our next point, because he loves so much, he sent his son who was also perfect and never did anything wrong, and he died in my place and yours. And that, my friends, is righteousness when we appropriate it on our lives. When we take the righteousness of Christ and step into it. We receive it. I've got a little time-lapse video that I want to show you that I took this morning from my media, from my media room. This is 5.30 to 6.30 in the morning. see my little dog sleeping there so that's 5 30 to 6 30 in the morning sometimes I get up at 5 usually when it's cold I sleep until 5 30 but every morning I see that that sunrise and every morning I sit in that spot and I do a bunch of things I yield my mind I pray a prayer and I say God I pray that you would control my mind, my will, my emotions. 
Father, I pray that you would control my actions and my responses. Lord, I ask out of Isaiah that you would give me the tongue of the learned, that I would give a word in season to one who is weary, that you would control my mind, will, and emotions. I breathe in the fruits of the Spirit. The next thing I do, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, bear those fruits in my life. I put on the armor of God every day. Lord Jesus, the belt of truth, which holds everything together. Father, the belt of truth that girds my waist, my insides, my innermost parts, that I would dwell on your truth, not the truth of culture or popular opinion, but the truth of the word of God. I put on the breastplate of righteousness that guards my heart that I can only have because Christ bought it for me. I take on his righteousness and it guards my heart. God, I put on the shoes of the gospel that my feet would be ready to take your good news to whoever you take me to today. Lord Jesus, I put on the helmet of salvation that that covers and seals my mind and protects my mind, the joy of my salvation. Lord, I thank you that my name is written in the book of life. I thank you that you came and found me in the pits of hell. I thank you that you delivered me, God. I put on the helmet of salvation. Remember again how blessed I am to be a child of God. Lord, I take up my shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy that faith, because the darts will come and they come relentlessly and consistency, but my shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the enemy and I wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Father, I pray you would teach me to use your word in a way that doesn't just fight the, the enemy back, but kills him. And prayer. The weapon of prayer in all things at all times. And every morning I put on that breastplate of righteousness that Christ bought for me. It's in him. It's in him. Number three, faithfulness. The breastplate of righteousness before we get into that. As I said, it's one for us by Jesus so that we can stand right before God. We could never do that on our own. And it's just so simple. All we need to do is believe and receive. So simple. Billy Graham said this. We're not going to heaven because we're good, because we work, because we pay. We'll go to heaven because of what Christ did for us on the cross. All we have to do is receive it. And it's so simple to receive Christ that millions stumble over its simplicity. Just believe, commitment, surrender. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Are you prepared to meet God? It's as simple as applying the righteousness of Christ, receiving it and applying it. Because he's righteous, he makes us righteous. Number three, faithfulness. You know, God is so, so faithful. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. You know, we live in a generation where many people have had untrustworthy father figures. And it affects how we see God. 
And we wonder why when we go through hard times, we fall apart. I want to tell you, if your father let you down, you're going to find it hard to believe that God won't let you down. Some of us believe that when things get tough, God walks out. Some of us believe that when things get tough, God doesn't share his resource. And so we struggle. We might have a relationship with Jesus. We might have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but we struggle with God, Father God. I want to tell you today that He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is loyal and He is true. He cannot lie and He cannot betray His own character. And His character is good. Because He's faithful, He cannot betray His own character character. But I want to tell you, faithfulness is more than just turning up. God wants us to be faithful because He's faithful. I want to tell you, faithfulness is more than just turning up. God just doesn't exist. He does. He extends. He provides. And so faithfulness in us produces a positive outcome around us. Faithfulness bears fruit. Faithfulness increases things. Faithfulness gives of itself. It's like a married couple, right? They're married for 50 years and the husband goes, well, I was faithful, but he did nothing. That's not faithfulness. Faithfulness brings an increase. Faithfulness gives of itself. Can I be honest? I feel like COVID, what COVID has done is it's produced a church of people who live by convenience If you're watching online, we love you. We just pray one day you'll be in the room. That one day you'll be in the room. You'll be a part of the church. You'll be connected somehow, discipled somehow. And you know what? Families, I'm just going to go there. I'm sorry. Families now are attending less than once a month. I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid they don't realize what it's going to cost them down the track. What it's going to cost them in their children. Do you know what? Kids that are brought up under the pew are pillars in the kingdom of God. Kids that are brought up regularly in the presence of God by parents who make his house a priority. God, if you don't go with me, They have the presence of God. They're set apart. Faithfulness. Do you know what? There's always a cost. You either pay it now or you pay it later. Maybe you pay it now with the inconvenience, but you reap the rewards down the track. Or you live a life of preference now and you pay dearly, dearly later on. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And finally... The last moral attribute that God has that He wants us to have is love. Ask you a question. What's the opposite of fear? The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love drives out all fear. God says that I've not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. 
God is love. He not only has love, He is love. And we live in a world now that says love is love. No, it's not. No, it's not. There are certain communities that are trying to tell us that love is love and it all needs to be accepted. It's not true and it's a pathway to damage. Those same communities are now telling us that certain abuses against children should be accepted in the name of love. Speaking in code because of little ears. Love is not love. God is love. And so we cannot actually have true love unless God's the motivator of it. Unless God's the center of it. And so 1 Corinthians 13 defines love for us. And again, we live in a generation that doesn't understand what love is. And when we open up for ministry time later, if you come from a warped perspective of love, I'd love for you to come and receive ministry because this is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud. It is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always hopes and it endures every circumstance. Love never fails. If it's failed, it's not love. Love never fails. God is love and He wants us to have the attributes of love. And love is the fruit of the Spirit. We can't do any of this on our own. It's your presence, Lord, that sets me apart. It's your presence, God, that shows the world who you are. It's your presence that makes my life a billboard and allows me to do what I can't do on my own. John 13, 35 says, The whole world that will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. God is love. And we love because He first loved us. We can't originate this kind of love. It originates in Him. We can be good, kind people, but the sort of love that changes the world originates in Him. It means we love the unlovely and we look beyond ourselves and we prefer one another before ourselves. Why don't you stand to your feet? My goal tonight, my goal tonight is to help you realize that you plus God are a majority. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all pres- uh, omnipresent. He's present all the time. He's enormous and beyond our fathoming and beyond explanation and understanding. That's what makes Him God. And He partners with us and He says, you know what? I want you to be holy. Whoa. Whoa, Holy pure, pure. I want you to be pure because I'm pure. And by my spirit, I can enable you to do that. I want you to know that you're righteous because of Jesus. You have right standing with me. You don't need shame. You don't need guilt. You don't need to hold yourself back. I don't condemn you. You are righteous. 
I want you to be faithful in a world that's so unfaithful and so living by preference and so doing what's easy and convenient. I want you to do the hard thing and show the world who I am. And I want you to be loved to the world. I want you to let me love you so that you can love the world. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.